0: Uh, one of my favorite pastimes, uh, and Brianna's, is giving uh, gifts to our kids. And we don't do this a lot. We give them... A- gift here and there. We're not showering them with a bunch of stuff. I like to think of myself as the best gift that my kids have. But, uh, you know, outside of that, I like to give them stuff, too, because it just gives me joy as a father. Uh, and those those gifts can range as small as, like, a 99-cent Hot Wheel from Target, which is, like, Jude's latest craze, uh, to bigger gifts that you have to wrap. So, you know, talking about Christmas or a birthday party. And Brianna and I love doing that. I don't know if it's just the thrill of, like, uh, just meeting our kid and like seeing the joy in their face, or just giving because we 've been given to from God from you know from people around us, and we want to extend that or just because we just love our kids, but we just love that and I, I remember uh, on one uh, one big day we had wrapped up this giant box, and we had this present inside of it had wrapping and a bow on it. Give it to jude and jude 's response you know, he opens his eye, he sees the box, he starts just tearing the paper off the box, and then he looks at the box, and his eyes just get as big as dinner plates, and he backs up, and he says, it's a box, thanks mom, thanks dad, he runs up, he gives us a hug, and he goes to the box, he starts playing with the box, and we're like, I'm looking at Bree, we're looking at each other, and we're like, Jude, open the box, doesn't even hear us. He's like spinning it around. He's jumping on it, kicking it. Everything in it is breaking, but he is like just full of joy. And we're looking at each other, and we're looking at Jude. And we're like, dude, it's not. The- I mean, yeah, boxes are cool, but look in the box. There's like an actual present in there. Uh, and he never does it. And we rec- we realize like Jude just loves cardboard. He loves boxes. He puts them on his head. He uses them like cars. He throws them at his sister. He does all sorts of stuff with boxes. He loves boxes. Uh, and for me, that type of thing, like Jude's fascination with boxes, is funny to me. It's adorable. It's a little bit of, a little cute. Uh, it's less adorable when it happens with adults, and it does happen with adults. We too, even when we become Christians, we become fascinated with boxes. Only our boxes are not made of cardboard, and they're not wrapped with stuff. Our boxes tend to refer to all of those external things outside of our lives that we can see, that we can identify, that we can control. Those are the boxes in life that we love. The boxes, everything uh, that signifies the exter- our external world. And there's a good reason why we might like that stuff. There's a good reason why we might feel like we're gravitating towards that external world that we can see and touch and feel and maybe even control. I'm willing to bet that most people in this room want something. Uh, There might be a lot of details in that something, uh, ranging across the full spectrum of human emotion and experience and need. But if all of us were to back up at like a 50,000-foot view we would see on that spectrum that basically most of us want similar things, even if it's different in the details. Uh, We want joy. We want peace of mind. We want peace in our home. We want wholeness and completeness. Uh, We we might want change. Maybe we're running into the same problem over and over and over and over. We can't seem to kick that bad habit that we have, and it's wreaking havoc on our lives and family. We want change. We want to break through that. Uh, We might even move beyond just change and beyond just happiness to something more transcendent. I'll bet a lot of people in this room want transformation. We want something deep, something that lasts a long time. Uh, all of us want things like that, I'm willing to bet. Most of us are here. Uh, that's maybe the reason that you're in a church this morning is you're looking for something deeper than what you've had before. Uh, all of us have that in common. We just don't always know where to look. We don't always know where to look for. life change, for transformation. We don't always know where to look for joy and meaning, uh, meaning in life and significance. We don't always know where to go to look for peace of mind and a sense of wholeness and completion. And so we do what people often do from time to time when they don't know where to look. We develop fascinations with our boxes, the things that we have created in our external world. Uh, Uh, that we can see and identify and even gives us some semblance of control. Now, I'm getting that from uh, verse 16 and 17 because this is exactly what Paul is speaking into the life of the Colossian church. Uh, If you're new today and you're just stumbling into this passage, I'll give you a quick recap Uh, Paul is writing this letter to a small church in Colossae. He's never been there before. He's probably never going to be there or visit, but he's heard about them. He's heard about this small fledgling group of people that discovered life in Christ, and he's now wanting to write to them to admonish, to instruct, to warn, because in Colossae, as we've spoken in the last few weeks, there's this thing going on in the spiritual climate of Colossae. We called it syncretism. It's this idea that you have, uh, not unlike Santa Barbara or our world here, you got a lot of options. And for the Christian, this might be one of the biggest obstacles you face, is that there's a lot to choose from. There's a lot of options. There's a lot to do with your time. And it was the same in Colossae. You had these Christians, and they just just found Christ. They're starting to form this church. And yet, there's a a kind of a hybrid of the Jewish faith over here that's also beckoning for their attention. And then over in this corner, there's this weird form of like Jewish mysticism that's also uh, asking for their attention and what you have here the the main problem in Colossae is not Christians or anybody for that matter outright rejecting Jesus Christ so much as they're adding Jesus to their pre-existing buffet of spirituality same with us today right I'm hard-pressed to find anybody in Santa Barbara that just looks at me and they're like I hate Jesus he's awful says bad things not full of love I don't like anything that he stands for that's generally not the problem the problem is people that have a wide buffet of spiritual experiences who have already assembled their lives according to what they think makes sense, and Jesus can act. you know, he might add a little frosting to that cake. And so, yeah, I'll take Jesus until it stops working for me, right? That's the problem in Colossi. That's a problem today. And so Paul's speaking into that because you have these young believers and even maybe some seasoned believers and all of them are attempting to follow Jesus Christ and yet they're hearing voices from different parts of the room, not the, not the church, but like uh, uh, in the city, in their, their spiritual climate that are whispering to them. Uh, if I could put it in, in my own phraseology, ah, Jesus is great. Jesus is awesome. I'm so glad that you have the life of Christ, but let me add something to that. And this is where, where Paul speaks into it. Verse 16, he says to the, the church, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. And you might look at that list and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Paul. Look, all you need to know right now is this is a list of actions from that voice in the room. That for them is saying, Jesus is great, but you need to add some behaviors to that. You need to add some right actions of some observances. Make sure you do the Sabbath. Make sure you stay away from this food and that drink. Make sure you do this. Uh, Make sure you uh, drink that and eat that. And make sure you observe this new moon festival. So this is coming from a deeply rooted uh, hybrid of Judaism in that day. The details... Uh, are different, but it's that same idea. Here is a box of control for you to stick your life in, right? Now, for this particular group, it was the box of action. If I just do these 10 things, these religious things, I will be fine. I will be complete. God will accept me. I will accept myself. Other people will accept me, and the list goes on. Paul speaks into that, saying, don't let people judge you over questions of food and drink, uh, festivals, new moon activities, Sabbath practices. But then he goes on and he speaks into another group, and this is in verse 17. He says, "'Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism,' which is kind of an extreme form of spiritual disciplines." and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. Now, that might be far removed from your experiences, Um, but here's what's close to your experience. This group was appealing to the Colossians church a desire for experience and feeling, okay? Uh, Don't let anyone disqualify you because you have not had the same feelings or experiences that they have. Neither let anyone judge you because you are not doing all of the checkmark boxes that they're doing. You see what's happening here? There are in the church at that time and still today, groups, voices, maybe even our own voices that would tempt us to say, yeah, Jesus is great. So glad you have faith in Christ and that He alone is bringing you everything that you need to live. But... Really need to get this in order over here. Really need to get your act together. You need to do this, this, and this. Uh, throw in some church attendance and make sure that you're giving generously and make sure that you're involved. And oh, you should probably volunteer and you should get your life together. Make sure that your life also looks like it has a lot of Christian practices. That's perhaps what someone might say. Maybe you would even say that to yourself. And then over here is something different. It's oh, it's not just about the actions. We also need experiences. We need to feel right. This can be as subtle as the person telling themselves, I am suffering grief right now. That's not very Christian. I'm feeling, you know, the unpleasant emotions right now. I need to get out of that. All of this, in other words, is those external things around us that we see, that we feel, that we can touch and identify, and that we can also sometimes think we can use to control how we're doing. Well, if I can just feel better, if I can just clap right now and just smile a lot, I can, you know, evade some of the darker parts of spirituality, if I can just do a bunch of stuff right. Now, notice that very few of the things that Paul brings up to the Colossian church are bad inherently. The Sabbath is good. That's one of the Ten Commandments. We teach that here, to practice the Sabbath. Uh, There's nothing wrong with uh, questioning certain foods and drinks. Some of us have diets. Some of us fast from certain things. Some of us, in order to uh, uh, resist an addiction, completely take something out of our our lives. There's good things involved in some of these. Uh, Festivals? I'm looking forward to fiesta. I'm going to tell you that right now as soon as may hits i'm like old spanish days i can't wait these a lot of these things are good some of them are bad worshiping of angels i'd probably leave that off of your repertoire right there but a lot of these things are good Uh, in other words they're they're just boxes they're boxes used to contain something of primary importance but in colossi perhaps in santa barbara they get made into the thing see what i'm saying the thing of primary importance that becomes so important to us that it takes control of our lives that perhaps we are tempted to use as a way of controlling our lives. Now, for the Colossian church, it was that list of things that you saw there, but what is it for you? Ask yourself this question. You'll find out very quickly. When your life starts to fall apart, if your life were to fall apart tomorrow morning, If your life has been falling apart, what are the top two or three things that your mind immediately goes to? And there it is. Where does your heart and mind immediately go to when your life is falling apart? Could be different depending on who you are and where you've been. Uh, For some of you, it could be religious action or feeling. Maybe it's when things get tough, you start going to church. When things are easy, you stop. Uh, maybe a church attendance or giving or volunteering uh, is a means to an end itself. Maybe it's that thing that makes you feel uh, like you're, you're controlling your life. Maybe it's that thing that allows you to think that maybe God is, is going to bless you if you just get your life together. There's a religious means of control, a religious box. For others, maybe it's not religious at all. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe your kids are the source of everything that brings you peace. Uh, And for example, maybe when your kids are well-behaved, that makes you feel like you are a better person, a good Christian, a good churchgoer. And all of that falls apart when you're in the grocery store and they start throwing a tantrum, whether they're five or thirty. And if you were to ask yourself, "What am I really upset about right now?" and you honestly said, you know, to yourself and God, uh, "I'm not, I'm not mainly concerned about my kid trying to get to the heart of the situation and speak directly to their heart. I'm just embarrassed." Why is that happening? Because you have lost control. And you haven't just lost control, but you've lost the semblance of control that you thought you had locked up in your children. So there might be a box of control that you live through with your family. Uh, there might be one with just a career. Maybe it's all locked up into your career. That's your box. Maybe it's the spiritual disciplines. I read the Bible. I pray every day. Uh, and I do all the, I cross all the T's, I dot all the I's, I check mark all the religious boxes, the spiritual boxes, uh, but you're not growing closer to God, and if someone were to ask you honestly, even though you're doing all the right spiritual stuff, your spirit is dry and tired, emaciated. This is what Paul is speaking into. He's speaking into a bunch of adult Christians who, like Jude, but in a different way, are more concerned about the external things than what's inside the box. And he's trying to grab our attention for what actually matters. We try to control our lives through external actions, through our life with church, through our life in community, through our career, through how much money we have, through uh, living vicariously through our family, maybe through our kids, maybe our parents, Uh, Maybe it's the image that our marriage projects to other people. We have a good marriage. We're always getting along, but behind the scenes, uh, things are really hitting a wall. Maybe it has nothing to do with marriage and family. Maybe it's singleness. Uh, We can use anything in our lives that we can see and identify and touch and feel as a means of controlling our life, because let's just be honest. For a lot of us in here, there are moments in our life where life is out of control, and I don't know about you but the first thing I want to do when life is out of control is get some control of my life. And so I reach for whatever's available, even if it's religious, even if it's spiritual. Paul exposes the brokenness of that kind of religious thinking, that external behavior, no matter how much you have, no matter how good at it you are, will never create the type of, transformation that your heart was created for. The things that God the Father has in store for you, that He designed you for, that He sees in your future, will never be possible by some of the external things you have set around yourself that you can control. Paul goes on to say in verse 20 through 23, why, and he's speaking to Christians, remember, if you... if if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, that word elemental spirits means our, our past life and the things in our past life that we used to try to center ourselves. He said, if you die to those things in Christ, why, if you were, as if you were still alive in the world, do you keep submitting to those old things? That old way of thinking, well, if I just do enough of this, I'll be good. Well, if I just have a family, I'll be good. If I just get involved in a church community I'll be good God will be pleased with me and I'll be pleased with myself if I just stop sinning if I just beat this addiction if I just make enough money if I just move beyond this tax bracket if I just if I just if I just Paul is saying how come you're still doing that Then he says, these things, and insert into these, whatever it is for you, the way that you try to control your life through external means, your box. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Listen to that. In other words, Paul does dignify that for a while our active, busy, religious lives do make us feel better, don't they? I do feel like a better parent when my kids act like perfect kids. And when they don't, all of that falls apart. And all of a sudden I start thinking, hey, stop it. People are going to see you and then they're going to see me and then they're going to think I'm a bad parent. And if they think I'm a bad parent, they're going to think I'm a bad pastor. And if they think I'm a bad pastor, they're going to think I'm a bad human. And all of this stuff. All of a sudden, I'm thinking more about the image I'm projecting and my control over the situation than the kids God gave me to love. But at first, it feels good. Good job, Abby. Way to get those straight A's. Good dad, especially. Thank you, Jude, for not uh, throwing fit like that kid in aisle nine. I'll pray for them. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Religion does make us feel good, but for all the wrong reasons. It makes us feel good about ourselves. But if you keep going down that track, you'll see how little content is actually there in yourself apart from God and Christ. Paul says, yeah, these have an appearance of wisdom in promoting a self-made religion, But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Flesh is Paul's shorthand referring to our external world, our human ingenuity, the things we can see and touch and move and control, our human resources, all of that that is good, but all of that that is also tainted by our fallen nature and by our sin. Paul is saying, that, the flesh in you, is so powerful inside of you, it cannot be stopped by the box that you live in. The image that you have created for yourself. Why not? Here's where Paul gives us the blow in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. You who were dead. There it is. What's the problem? Not the box the problem is you and me you were dead he doesn't even say you didn't have the capacity he says you were dead he doesn't say oh you have a few challenges in your life but if you get through those challenges life will be good he says you were dead i don't know if you know but the greek word there for dead means uh, it means dead like you're dead He's using the most strong language. Obviously, we're breathing oxygen right now. We're not physically dead, but he's using the strongest language possible to communicate to people like you and to me that we had no capacity to follow God in any meaningful or significant way. And because we're not following God in any meaningful or significant way, but rather are going our own way in a self-referenced form, inwardly turned on ourselves, there is no life. And he's pointing out the irony and the silliness of a dead life trying to set up beautiful things around the perimeter to make yourself look good, feel good. You were dead. I have one of my spiritual gifts is killing plants. And I thought I would be good at it because my dad, I told you this story years ago, when he'd visit me when I was in school like 15 years ago, he'd, he'd swipe people's succulents. He'd like just take like a little piece, like a tiny little piece, and he would do this over the course of like 10 years. And he would plant them in his front yard and one day like, 10 to 12 years later, I went and visited my dad back in Watsonville. And there in the middle of his little house was a little piece of Santa Barbara. It was this giant garden of succulents. I felt like I was walking down Anacapa, looking at the city hall. You know what I'm talking about? And I was like, dad, what did you do? And he's all oh, just planted. The, I just planted plants and just took them a little bit here and there. And it's been 10 years. And I'm all, that's awesome. I want to do it. And my dad knows about me. He knows my problems with plants, among other things. And he, he wanted to start, he wanted me to start easy. Because he knows I don't have a green thumb. He's all, just start with succulents. You can't, succulents will live through anything. They were made for the desert. And so I did. And I grabbed a piece of a succulent, just cut off the leaf. I didn't have the root on it or anything. And I just threw it into the ground. I don't even think I dug a hole. I just threw it on the ground, watered it, and forgot about it for two weeks. Came back later, and it was dead. And... I, I don't know if that's just a problem that I have. I kill succulents. Like, I kill all plants, even succulents. The things that are supposed to live through anything, including a desert, they look at me and they're like, hey, watch out. Chris Lazo's coming. You better stock up on water because you ain't going to get some for the rest of the year. So this thing is dying, and I remember like frantically trying like to do anything I could. Like I started putting more soil in there. Uh, I threw like a banana peel in. I don't know. I saw that on YouTube. I like transferred. I watered it. I put it into a different flower pot. Nothing changed it because it was dead. And transferring a dead thing to a different flower pot doesn't bring it to life. That's what all our boxes are like. They're flower pots with a lot of death inside. No, for us to experience true life transformation. What Jesus spoke about in the Gospel of John to the person who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. Who wants that? I want that. For that, you need more than a box. You need more than a flower pot. You need more than just a list of moral commands that you did on Monday. You need the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ to invade the deadness of the soil. And this is exactly what the gospel tells us happens It says, you who were dead, he's speaking to the Colossian church, as he would speak to the Santa Barbara church, you were dead in your uh, trespasses and the hardness of your hearts. But what happened? God made you alive together with him. God made you alive. He breathed life into your soul. As soon as you got a glimpse of Jesus Christ and the beauty of the gospel, something happened on the inside that you had no control over. Can I get an amen? He reached into beyond the firewall of your hard heart, and he said, I decide to change you. He opened up the, the, the windows of your heart just a little bit, just enough to see the glory and beauty and alluringness and attractiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that just for a fleeting moment, you who were going this way were like, oh, and you've been going this way the whole time. That wasn't you in your boxes. That was God. In his great power by the Spirit of God. It says, you were dead in your trespasses, but God made you alive. What does that kind of theology, what does that way of thinking do to all of our actions and practices and behaviors? It redeems them. It doesn't get rid of them. We still have to do things and not do other things. It changes the way that we think about them. It makes us see outside or deeper underneath the actions. Uh, To look in the box, so to speak, at the true prize. Jesus would say to a group of of Jewish listeners, it's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks. It's out of the overflow of your heart that your mouth speaks. The Proverbs would tell us to guard your heart, the deepest part of who you are, for out of it flow uh, the, the riches of life. Another way of translating that is that your heart is what animates the rest of you. So yeah, we do do good things and bad things, and we have actions and behaviors and habits and all of that stuff, but we're getting the cart before the horse if we're saying, all I need to do are these ten right actions and my heart will come alive. God is saying, your heart needs to come alive, and you'll do everything naturally out from that place. Out of the overflow of your heart is where everything else comes from. In other words, actions are merely symptomatic of what's going on deep down inside here. That's why God cares so much about your heart. He cares about your body too, he cares about your mind, he cares about your actions and behaviors. But in caring for all of those things, he takes a jackhammer, a divine jackhammer straight to the deepest part of who you are and he starts to do business. Paul, in other words, is saying, hey, the box isn't bad. I just want you to open the box and look in it. What do we find? Paul goes on to say in verse 15 through 17 that Jesus disarmed rulers and authorities, demonic, darkness, uh, that had us in bondage. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And it's out of that that he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you because of the boxes that they're, they're projecting onto you and that we project onto ourselves and onto one another. For these, even the good things, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. In the Christian life, we're called to live holy lives. We're called to do certain things. Church is important. Giving, generosity, worship, volunteering, volunteering giving to the poor, all of the things that you could categorize as action in the Christian life are extremely important. We just have to make sure that we see them through the correct lens. Paul says the lens is Jesus. All of these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I love that word. It's a shadow. My kids have this pastime that they love where they, they, get this, they have this big old box of chalk and they've been drawing chalk outlines of each other and me, and having me draw their chalk outlines, so you have this whole family of chalk outlines on the sidewalk. So if you drive by my house, it's super spooky because you see these like bodies all over the sidewalk, but they love doing that. So uh, during one of, these, one of these play times, I, I, I chalk marked Abby's body on the driveway, but her hair is so big, I had to go around it. So when she stood up, she looked around, she was disgusted. She was like, Dad, my head's not that big. I'm, all, I'm sorry, that's your hair. I can't, like, it's not accurate. It's just your shadow. You look great. In the same way Paul is saying, hey, the things that we do, like when we get into the scriptures, whatever it is for you, reading the Bible, giving, fellowshipping together, atten- coming to church, uh, working hard at your career, making, uh, making money, paying the rent, parenting, being single, all of the things that we would uh, categorize as an action, a behavior, or even a feeling God is saying, those are important. Just recognize that's just a shadow of what everything is about and what everything is moving towards, Jesus Christ. And the wording he uses, that the substance, that which is real, belongs to Christ. I love how the NIV translates this passage. It says that the reality is Christ. This verse is actually where our church gets its name because we believe that Jesus is reality. We believe that he's as deep as you can possibly go. He's the true north. He is that which we were created for. All the things that we uncovered in the book of Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, uh, the exact representation of his nature. He created everything, and everything was created by him and for him. He holds everything together by the word of his power in order that he might have preeminence. That word means supremacy. He might be supreme over all creation, supreme over your family, supreme over your singleness, supreme over your mind, your thought life, your recreation, uh, supreme over the things that you love, supreme over your relationship, supreme over your career, supreme over uh, the, your career which is falling apart, supremacy over all things. He's, Paul isn't telling us, stop reading the Bible, stop practicing the Sabbath. He's saying, start looking at it the right way. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? If it's just to exert some control over your life, you've lost sight of everything. But if you're reading this thing because you love Jesus Christ and you want to be closer to him, good job! if you're practicing the Sabbath not to uh, project this image of religiosity to everyone around you and make you feel better about uh, uh, the rest of your week, but rather you are stopping work on Saturday or Friday or whatever it is to you because you just need to soak up Jesus, the reality of all things, then you're in the right spot. You're in the right spot. In other words... Don't be obsessed with the boxes in your life. And certainly don't let other people judge or disqualify you because of those things either. It's all about Jesus. You might be asking yourself, well, now what do I do? Okay, I'm looking into the box. What do I do with Jesus? Uh, if I can explain this via another illustration, uh, there was a time where I was trying to hang up these cafe lights in uh, behind my house but we have no posts we have nothing to hang them off it's just open space and so i took this pole and i jammed it into this like 10 gallon ceramic flower pot uh, and hung the cafe lights on there and it, it was fine for a while until the winds blew and the palm fronds fell and that thing tipped over because it wasn't deep enough the lights shattered the wires frayed and I called my buddy who goes to the first service, Gary Palmer, to come over and to dig me a deep hole. And I asked him, like, what should I do? I, wanna, I don't just want to hang cafe lights on here. I want, like, some shade and stuff like that. And he said, you got to go deep, man. Flower pot ain't going to cut it. I'm all like, a foot? Like, should I dig a, a hole into the ground like a foot? And he's all, three feet. I'm all, OK, cool, cool, cool. So I dug a hole three feet deep. I'm all, what do I do? Put, it like, a stick in there? He's all, you need a four by four. It needs to be 10 feet long. Oh, OK, cool. Well, then what? Pack it with dirt? And he's all, you need concrete. He gets three bags of concrete, weighs more than me, and he fills this three-foot hole with concrete. And it's there right now. That thing does not move. That thing does not move. I had to go deeper than what I had available to myself. I had to go deep into the ground. I had to hold fast to something that was worth anchoring myself to. Paul then says... Uh, in passing. The problem with all of these other groups in Colossae, the problem perhaps for some of us is that we are not holding fast to that which really matters, the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Uh, The NLT version of the Bible would, uh, would translate it this way, we are not connected there comes a point in all of our lives where we must break out of those boxes and and come to a place in our lives where we're like, we are not deep enough, we don't have the capacity enough, we're not religious enough, we're not smart enough, we're not anything enough to cure or even to satisfy much less the deep and eternal capacity by which our heart was created for. We need to dig into the ground. We need to hold fast to the head. And so Paul is teaching, warning, admonishing. You need something beyond your own human resources and ingenuity. You need to hold fast to the head, to Christ, who is your reality, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. It's all about Jesus. I spent like 40 minutes saying what I could have just said right there. If you were to ask anybody in Santa Barbara, what's Christianity about? What would would some of the answers you you got back? You might get, well, it's about doing the right thing. It's about being moral. Uh, It's about going to church. Uh, Depending on who you got, if you got someone that was super jaded and angry, they might say something else. It's about being judgmental and proud, which is a true experience for them. But if you ask Paul, he would say, it's about Jesus. Christianity is about being caught up in the life of the one in whom all knowledge and the treasures of wisdom in heaven are locked up in. Christianity is about Jesus. And Christians are people who hold fast to Jesus. Now, ironically, we hold fast to Christ by doing certain things. We call them spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. But if we're taking Paul seriously, we have to remember practices are not the end themselves, nor do they contain any power to control your life. So why do we do them? Why do we attend church every Sunday? Why do we practice hospitality? Why do we open our lives and hearts to other people in the bond of love? Why do we do anything that the Bible tells us to do when only Christ has the power to change you? Here's why. Practices can't change you only Christ can change you. But practices can slow you down enough to receive the grace of God in Christ. And let's just be honest, if you live in Santa Barbara, you're busy and you're not slow. Some of us need to practice a slowed down spirituality. Some of us need to approach the Sabbath, not as something to make us feel better about ourselves, but as a means to stop us once a week so that we can turn our eyes to God and find rest and delight where our hearts might be satisfied. For some of us, we need to practice silence because we're so manipulative with our words. One of the best practices for some of us is to stop talking and to simply be in the presence of the living God without an agenda. For others, it's confession. We have this appearance of perfection about us. The one thing that might allow us to stop for a moment and to receive the grace and forgiveness and transformation of God in Christ is to confess our sins and to be okay with the fact that we're not okay. I'm going to ask Robert and the rest of the team to come out here as we sing. And I want to lead us through a corporate practice. It's a very simple one, one that we've done from time to time. A practice that would allow us to open our hearts to God, give up control, and to surrender to Him. Remember, it's not all about the practice. It's about Jesus. But sometimes our scattered, heavy minds could really benefit from practices that would open our hearts and slow us down to respond to that Christ. We've done this practice from time to time. It's called Palms Up, Palms Down. I want you to do this as, the, uh, as we transition into singing. I want you to be honest with God today. The first thing that you could do is just get comfortable, both feet on the floor. Uh, put your hands, the palms of your hands, on your legs, rest them there. And intentionally place yourself in the presence of Jesus. Oh, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that the Bible tells us that Jesus is already present. The problem is that we're usually not aware of his presence. And so right now, let's intentionally place ourselves there. Believe that he's there. Turn our attention towards him. And I want you to turn your palms down and begin to do this with me. Turn your palms down, onto your legs, whatever is comfortable for you. And in the words of the Apostle Peter, who would say, cast your cares onto the Lord because he cares for you, I want you to visualize that happening. With your palms down, just begin to drop your cares, your worries, your agenda, your expectations, your boxes into the hands of Jesus. Jesus. Let go of all that is heavy, that is burdensome, that you've projected onto others, maybe that you are even projecting onto yourself. Just let it go. Feel the freedom of being able to let it go. And breathe. Now after you've given those cares to Jesus, all your boxes flower pots, cares, agendas, worries, expectations. I want you to physically turn your palms up on your knees. And I want you to open your hands to receive the free gift of God's presence, his word and his love. The good news of the gospel is that's already available to you. Why are we doing the thing with our hands? Because our minds get so easily distracted. I want you to imagine what is already a reality for you in Christ. Let it go and receive what God might be speaking to you right now.